Blog Talk Radio.
So let's switch up here just to give me a Most High wants to be the only thing we worship. 
the only standard on the earth for humanity is supposed to be his standard, his definition of beauty, his definition of government, his definition of how we look at money, his definition of how we look at women, his definition of how we look at men, his definition of what a good education is, his definition of what a good nation is, his definition of anything our minds go to define, not whiteness, white supremacy, a hand group of people redefining everything going around the world, rewriting history, brainwashing masses of people to where people to their very core are white supremacists, black inferiority. So some people may say, well, I don't know what you're talking about, brother. I don't ever have nothing to do with their white power stuff. But you, a lot of us, participate every day, especially in this country, in America, participate every day with philosophies and, and sayings and belief systems of black inferiority. And where you got that from is from the same mouth, the same institution of white supremacy. It's one coin. It's one coin. One side defines the other side. If you say the word white supremacy or the phrase white supremacy, what is it superior to this 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 philosophy is superior to non-white. If you say black inferiority, what is it inferior to? White supremacy or whiteness. Both of these terms, white and black, was man-made. It's a social construct, folks. We talked about that last week. So I just want to remind everybody, uh, this is very serious. This is nothing to play with. This is not some little... Um, of uh, mind game or, or mental um, uh, mental uh, pissing contest with white people. This is not hatred. This is not black black power. This is I my intention as the creator of this show. I want to really show how the scriptures and the Most High expose. What we're trying to talk about tonight as an idol, it is in every definition of the word idolatry. We're worshiping something that don't exist. There's no such thing as a people based upon color. Now, mankind can create it, and we can say that's what it is and worship for what it is and start really believing all these lies, but at the end of the day, it's made up. At the end of the day, it's all made up. Might as well believe in Santa Claus. There's no such thing as a white man. Every time we say it, we are not innocent. We, too, are giving strength to a lie. We keep the lie alive. This is why I say so often so-called whites or neo-European. Who are white people? That's the question of the century. Who, what really is a white man? That's the question of the century. And just as confusing, what is a black man? Are you talking about African black or American black or Indian black or South American black? So we got to know 
what we're doing as believers. Believers have no business building a golden calf, worshiping men, mere men. Our beauty standards, the way we look at everything is through the lens of white supremacy. Lord, help us all. Going to the phone lines, because I want to bring on my guests. Every time I talk about this, it does something to me. You know, you think about it in the car driving here, and it's just like another topic. But when I start thinking about the Expo 30, and some of you know what I mean by Expo 30, the 30 areas of life where we're affected by white supremacy, when I begin to look at that, folks, it's disturbing. It does something to my core. And one of these days, I'm going to get my wife to sit down and listen to all of the Expo 30 at one time. You've got to do that. It is something that will baffle your spirit. Maybe I'll try to do it today. But to go to every tiny area of life, I call it the Expo 30, where we talk about things like the education system, the history system, uh, the media, uh, entertainment, uh, economics in every area, war, every area. If there's people breathing in America, I promise you they're part of either one or two kingdoms. They're either breathing and saying, thus said the Most High, influenced by his word. They don't have to be Bible-toting, tongue-talking Christians, but they either is believing in something that the Most High have set up, and not everybody that, not everybody that talk like this may talk like your typical Christian, but there's a lot of people that even use profanity. Their core beliefs is biblical. They just cuss. Either your, either your mind is, as Paul said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Either you are in the kingdom of the Most High operating on his principles. Or, oh, my friend, you are a white supremacist. There is no really in between. I mean, really, these people run this world. They influence people. They have foreigners coming over here from Africa, from Arab countries, from everywhere, full of this germ, full of this philosophy, mistreating, looking at blacks just like white people look at us. Mistreating us, Asians, scared of us, looking at us like we're animals, but yet want to sell us hair. Secretly thinking we're animals, but doing business with us. And then you have the so-called African-American themselves who see ourselves as white people see us. White people see us according to the philosophy of white supremacy. We are taught by the same teacher. We see the same images that molded them, that made them, that created the heart that these whites have. The thing that's in their head to make them act like that, we just a little bit better off than them because we have such a relationship with blacks, so-called blacks, and we can see that we're not that bad. So we're a little better off than we all. Oh, 
white supremacist. I can prove it. So tonight, we're going to go to the phone lines. We're going to bring on, again, the one and only John Clark and, uh, my goodness, Diana Awar. And uh, just got to play a little bit of this before I bring them on because I'm really just just what I said mess with me just that just saying that. Folks, this is serious. Give me thirty seconds and I'll bring on our guests. Just give me thirty seconds, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this very important show. Um, area code 972-805. While that's a U.S. phone number, brother John Clark and his friend, the one and only Diana Awar, are all the way in Kenya. John and Diana, welcome, welcome, welcome. How are y'all doing? Thank you. We are doing fine. Hey, what's up, bro? Doing Seth, fine. Back. Hey, all uh, Arlene he says hey And she says hey She's on the other side of the room But she's tuned in and ready to go And those callers uh, Well you guys will be uh, Listened to Probably from people all over the country uh, With this particular episode So let's go ahead and get started Y'all heard what I was sharing Give me some feedback on what you've heard uh, Me sharing the last I guess five or ten minutes there Please if you don't mind Well, I think, you know what I like about this show and um, the topic is that you come in normally with a preconceived notion and you honestly could think like, okay, I could just come in and just freestyle and just talk about what I know, what I've come to experience and so on and so forth. But what happens is that when you begin to study the particulars of this construct, and you begin to look at anecdotal evidence of, of whatever the given situation is, it really begins to peel back the layer, so to speak, and you be able, you're able to understand it more. Um, and, and that's what I've liked about not just blog talk with the uh, Five Smooth Stones Network in general. Uh, anytime you're forced to to study, to show yourself approved, um, God is faithful and he gives you insight and understanding. And you don't even have to be a Christian 
in the same way that God reigns on, uh, as far as rain and agriculture goes, and the necessity for the rain, he gives rain to the just and the unjust, the godly and the ungodly. And he absolutely gives knowledge and understanding for that person who pursues it, uh, no matter whether you believe that he is the one true God or not. But I, I've seen this, and I was like, you know, again, looking, just looking into our topic, um, I'm excited about having another discussion about it because I continue to see things and get uh, insight and understanding. Uh, Diana? Um, this is my, my second time on the show. Um, yes. The first time I, I enjoyed and I liked uh, what we discussed and what we talked about, and I'm glad that we are doing this again because there are some areas that we did not touch on, and I guess it's important that we talk about it and uh, we tell it to the world so that they get to know how um, racism has affected uh, us as Africans. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, y'all, and I appreciate those words, you, both of you have experience in things there in Kenya. And I want y'all to at this time let some people know just how effective this lie, this germ, this religion in Kenya is. Brother John was sharing some straight-up racist things that he'd noticed. Brother John, you want to share with us, and then Sister Diana, if I can say sister, uh, please share with us some of the heart of things you saw that definitely were signs of this lie, this germ, this belief system being digested or ingested or a part of the DNA of Kenyans. Okay, well, you know... <clears throat> The way that I've come to look at it, and I think it's important that everyone gets a version of what I'm about to say, because um, it gives you the ability to make a distinction between people who move within this construct and then people who create it and continue to be generals in this construct, moving power centers from one place to another and putting other support systems and buttresses under that power and that support system to accomplish a particular end. I, can, I look at it like economics, microeconomics and macroeconomics. Microeconomics looks at economics from a standpoint of, for instance, how much money you're making, what are the needs of your household, what are the bills that are coming in, the, the expenses, the things that may pop up, and so on and so forth. Macroeconomics deals with what is the gross domestic product of the United States and what is the industry that you're working within and where is that industry headed uh, for the next several years? What's your place and what's your education so that you can move within that industry to put yourself in a better position to be able to receive the revenue that that industry gives the person that are, are employed by that industry, micro and macro economics. I look at racism in the same respect. 
there are white people who have called me nigger at various times. And forgive me for not using the N-word, but let's just go ahead and call it what they call it because it used to cut so deeply when I was a child. It cut so deeply, and I didn't understand why would they do this. What was even more amazing was when I was in high school and I, I moved from where I was to an area that was the minorities, it was almost split uh, between Mexicans and blacks. And I went to go play basketball at, in this Mexican neighborhood and ran into a racist Mexican. I could not believe this. I could not believe it. I, I, I sat there and pondered the thought of, I would think that it would be us trying to fight against the white people, quote, unquote. And keep in mind, folks, this is from a kid. And, and so when I say fight, I don't mean to go out and, and wreak havoc on people of white color. I mean, because we, we, we've never been offensive where we were just going out to be the ones looking to cause issues. We've never really been that type of people, nor have I seen that with the Hispanics. Uh, but I have absolutely seen the adverse of that where you have the lynch mobs. No, not the ones that make the record, folks. Roll with me on this one. The, the white people who gather themselves together to go and offend, a la 100 years ago, the, uh, Wall, the Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Greenwood District, white mobs supported by government comes in and decimates an entire people in an entire area. Same thing with Rosewood in Florida, I believe that was. There's a, there, there, there are numbers of, of instances where white people gather themselves together and go and assault minorities. Uh, it, it's just documented. I don't know what else to tell you folks, uh, but it, it, you can find black people doing the same, but it's on such a small level. And normally it's in response. Black people don't normally just arbitrarily like, yo, let's go and do this and do No, I've never seen it. And I've been rolling around this world 53 years now, and I've not seen minorities arbitrarily look to go and attack white people. But, again, on the micro level, matter, at Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1986, uh, I'm taking a break from working at Pizza Hut. I'm just sitting um, – uh, not on the side of the road, but near the side, and uh, a truck rolls by, and I hear somebody yell out, Nigger! Now, folks, I know y'all rather I say the N-word. I'm not saying it, unless that makes me. Matter of fact, if an argument even suggested, I'll stop and say it. I don't think it suggest, and I'll stop. But it's important for that word to continue to cut, if it does cut. And for me, it doesn't cut as much. But it was like I couldn't believe it. That's micro-level racism. Racism and white supremacy are not the same thing. They are mutually exclusive ideologies. And so what you consider white supremacy to be probably is racism because on the micro-level, that's just somebody who saw someone who was different and wanted to, to say something offensive, hopefully make them feel better about themselves. But, folks, let me tell you about this ideology of white supremacy. I am inclined to believe that this came from the depths 
of hell, and it is being orchestrated. It is well thought out. There is an army, whether you know it or not. You wonder why there are secret societies? This is why there are secret societies. This type of secret has to be kept. Once you get in, you can get elevated. If you bring something to the table, let's say that you are an administrator at a school, you're a mayor, you are a businessman, it doesn't make a difference. Definitely a policeman, a person who has power, that's the reason why I see, that's the reason why I know it's satanic, because it gravitates around power. Racism doesn't gravitate around power. Now, understand what I'm about to say. Racism deals with just the fact that someone is different. Racism is tantamount to you're in the third grade and some, and the other kids in the fourth grade. Come on, and let's have third graders play kickball. Get the fourth graders. Yeah, guys, let's get them. Why? You want the third graders to beat the fourth graders, the boys to beat the girls, so on and so forth. It's the fact that people are different and they, they gravitate around their differences. You go to the cafeteria, you see a group, the table at the black, black people at the table, and then white people spat it out. Where do you go? I know. I always go to the black table. Always have. I will not just go sit amongst white people. See, why? Because I share likely a culture with them. It doesn't mean that they're good. It doesn't mean that I'm good. Because, you know, there's equal amounts of evil in each given race. There's equal amounts of good, equal amounts of godliness, equal amounts of satanic uh, uh, sentiments in each race. But the first thing you see is the empirical senses, eyes, the, what you hear, the, the way they speak, so on and so forth. So when you look at white supremacy, you look at a more organized group of people. Matter of fact, you look at a people who are so organized that they will even end up a black person into the organization if that person is willing to oppress the target audience, so to speak. They will put a black person in position, and you've seen it in, in slavery, where you get a person who is the one who is elevated over the other slaves, and now he's worse than the slave master. Folks, white supremacy is, is like Seth has been telling y'all for years. It is not the same as racism. It's not the same as somebody don't like you because you are black. It is a system that people are in agreement with. They have talked. They're in rooms discussing how can we further oppress this people and stop them from being able to rise up financially because if they rise up financially, they're going to be able to afford the houses that we can afford, which means that they're going to be in our school district. And, this, and it goes deeper than just that. It goes way deeper than that. And I'm going to stop right now because as you stated, Seth, sometimes when you get to talking about this and you understand the inner working, even if you only get one key, you get two keys, it opens up a lot of different things like a video game. You just reach level 13. You're like, oh, my gosh. There are people who actively work for the sole objective of oppressing other people. They want to suppress sub-Saharan Africa so that they can continue to maintain the quality of life that they have. They can't do it. Folks, <laughs> I saw something I wrote, I want to say about five years ago, about capitalism. Brother okay. uh, Joshua from Cincinnati liked it, and it popped up on my Facebook. It said, 
Capitalism is like this. You're either one or two people. Either you are capitalizing on other people or you're being capitalized on. And if you don't think that you're either one of those, you're number two. If you don't, you're like, I don't know which one I am. You are <laughs> ignorant and you are being capitalized on. That's the system that needs to take advantage of the resources of the labor of other people so that it can live, as the Bible says, sumptuously, Babylon the Great, the harlot, sumptuously. I'll leave it at that. Diana. That was good. That was good. That was, that was an eye-opener. Goodness. Just can't, you know, that was pretty in de- intense right there, brother. Go ahead, uh, Diana. Okay, 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 okay. No. When, uh, according to my understanding of uh, racism, the way it affects us as Africans, the white people, they colonized as Africans. And when they came to Africa, they claimed that they discovered this and that, they discovered minerals, they discovered rivers, they discovered lakes. And they came, they colonized us, and they still here with us. And when we read history, Africa had history even before the white people came to, before we were colonized. Uh, history tells me that when the Europeans were still living in caves, Africa had already discovered fire and some other things that we discovered. But right now, as we live as Africans, we produce a lot of things. We have a lot of things as Africans. Uh, we were colonized, but the only thing that uh, uh, the, the colonization resembles, also, we only have the flag, but they're still, the white people are still with the, here with us, controlling us in every sector, every area of our lives, they're still controlling, controlling us. They came, they changed our minds, they, they got into, uh, we, they changed our minds in, in uh, different areas. Be it uh, in terms of religion, they changed us. Whatever we believed in as Africans, we don't believe it anymore. Like, uh, my understanding is that when God created man, he created man in his own image. And right. he used soil to create man. And soil is black and brown. There was no white soil that God used to create man. But the white people came to Africa and they made Africans believe that they are superior. And they made us believe that oh, maybe we think that we serve a lesser God than, than the white people. So whatever the white people came with, whatever they told us to do, whatever, even the, the movies that we watched when we were young, they show us that there was this white, the white Jesus. And that's what we believe. So when we see a white person, we think that the white people are more superior than us. But even in history, we learn that um, uh, the great men from, uh, from uh, the, the white people, they came to, to Africa. Why did they come to Africa? You only pay homage where there's 
where there's knowledge. So they come to Africa because there's something good in Africa they, they want to take. So not that they want to take, they have already taken everything that they wanted to take. And now Africans, we live, we live basically like slaves in our own motherland. For example, uh, history tells me there was this village in, in, uh, in West Africa called Gufre. It is now the Gambia. When, uh, there was a man from that village uh, called Kunta He went to, uh, to What was the Kunta name of that? He well, went to... Hold on. Hold on. What was Kunta the name of that? Kunta Kinte. Yes. He went to the United States of America. And okay. the white people beat him up so that he can change his Africanness. He changed his name to Toby, and everything about that he was taught, everything that he left Africa knowing that I'm an African living with this, all that changed. So when, they, when we go, even us uh, Africans here, when we go to America, we change our culture. Everything about Africa we change, thinking that whatever comes from the West, it is the best. They take, they take things from us, like we have minerals, but... We have cobalt, but there's no form that is manufactured in, in Africa. We have, we have all these, we produce them, but they are not, never manufactured in Kenya, in, in Africa. And for instance, if there are some countries who manufacture their own produce, the price will be determined by the West people. They will determine the price of, of our, our products. But if they take it when they throw and they go and do whatever they have to do, and bring it back to Africa, they will change its name. Like tea, for example, they will take it back. When they bring it back to Africa, they will call it English tea because they want us to believe that they took it from us here in Africa, took it there, made it whatever it is, made it to bring it back to us here. It means that Whatever they did to, to it there is, is better than what we as Africans could have done to, to our, our products, whatever we produce. So we have been oppressed for a long time, and the white people have even they have changed our thinking, our Africanness. We have we, we sold ourselves to the white people because... We change everything about us to think that if we, if we look like them, we will be better, we will be accepted, we will be, we will be more superior, we will be more powerful, something like that, or, or even more beautiful. For instance, even our women, we have changed the way we look. We want to look like the white people. But I've never seen any white person who wants to change their skin color to be black so that they look. I've never seen a white person who wants to change their hair to look like the African. I've never seen any of that. Think like um, as Africans, we have to go back and look at ourselves, look, read history, look at our history and learn something that these people, they are not our friends and they are not going to give us anything that is better than what we have. We have to change as, as a people. And the change doesn't come from, from the leader. It has to come from me as Diana Fox. 
What do I want for my country? What do I want for Africa? I have to change my, my way of thinking. What do I want uh, to achieve? What do I want Africa to achieve? What do I want my country to achieve? To get it out of, 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 uh, of white supremacy. Because whenever a white person is around black uh, as Africans, we would, we would feel a, a, a certain type of way. Because, by the way, I remember when I was a kid, when we saw a white person passing, we would follow them and scream, shout, ah, Muzungu. We, white people are called Muzungu in Kenya. We would follow them and shout, Muzungu, Muzungu. Like, from the time we were young, there's something that was instilled in our brain that we need to get it out, that white person is better than me. His color is better. His hair is better. His English is better. I have my 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 own um, language. Why do I feel that uh, the, the the white person's language is better than mine? Why do I feel like his color or his uh, hair is better than mine? How is that going to to help me? How is that going to affect my life? So as a, as a young person, that's what was instilled in our mind, and it has changed our culture. We do not name our children after our ancestors. We want to name our children. We want to give them the English name, which is really happening. That is the thing right now. Any woman who gives birth to a child, you tell them to name their children. You give them their children, the African name. Someone be like, no, I'm going to name my, my child Ethan Miles. You see, I'm not going to name, give my, my child the African name. Why? Because I said those uh, those are old-fashioned names. Why do I? I'm killing my culture. Because when I say that I'm not going to name my child after uh, my great grandfather or whoever, and I'm going to name my child after somebody that I don't know, his culture, I would be killing. That I would not be doing any justice to my to 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 my to my people and to my ancestors. So in that in that manner, we the white supremacy has is really penetrating through, and it's affecting us in different ways, big time. We are as well, uh, black people. Yes. Let me ask you a question, Diana. Let me ask you a quick question. That yes. was pretty deep. You did what you did last week. That was pretty deep. Before I do, I want Arlene to comment. She's heard a lot of she's been quiet and hasn't said anything today. I want her to just take her time and just comment on what she has heard. And um, uh, I'm going to let her use my phone like we did. So, Arlene, if you can just take my phone, and uh, I'm going to put this on speaker, and I want you to go ahead and, and comment. There you go. If you all can hear her, let her know, okay? Okay. Okay. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I'm glad to be Hello, here. Hello, and um, that was quite a lesson. Both of you have already taught enough that we could sit down and kind of chew on that for a while. You know what I'm saying? And um, I'm still, <laughs> my, mind is, <laughs> my mind is still really just with the things that Diana is sharing. And, and, and I feel, you know, I have to confess maybe I'm ignorant or something, but I've always felt that 
in America, because we were raised as slaves, we were, you know, uh, grown to be Negroes, and, and, and we were miseducated and just all this kind of stuff totally disconnected from whatever our history is, um, that we were just, you know, had it worse, we were ignorant and all of that. But to know that the macroeconomic uh, white supremacist has infiltrated Africa, because I'm thinking the colonization had to do with some economics. They just wanted money and resources and all that. But to know that it's actually undermined the actual fabric and culture of the biggest uh, continent, it just it just messes me up right now. I just I, I'm just so amazed that they have infiltrated the village. It's like, how did you get in the village? I mean, the villages are tight. Right. They have like 127 different languages everywhere, but they know what they're talking about, and they're tight, they're family-based, and, you know, they have like a, a, a leader or a king or whatever, and so everybody, all these units, it's like, how did you trickle through all of those units? Those You couldn't even speak their languages. I mean, you didn't know anything about them, but to be able to, I guess, from the macroeconomic perspective, seize the country's resources and interrupt their political system and get involved in, you know, the infrastructure, and then on top of that, to begin to do the same subliminal training of defining what is beautiful and what is educated and what is best you know, and what is godly, that right there, it just blows my mind that it worked, <laughs> you know. And so it lets me know, like I said last week, I feel like we're sisters in this struggle. I feel like, you know, we're brothers and sisters in this struggle uh, for, for what has happened to all of us. And to know that some of us have the understanding that we know that it's important, like, why is one language better than another? Why why should the whole world speak English? Really? I mean, think about it. Maybe it's because you can negotiate and do business or whatever, but if you're the one in the position of power, they don't have to learn your language. So I'm just like, wow, this is amazing to me. And like I said, my heart, my mind is enlightened, but my heart is heavier because I'm like, Lord, you know, I'm thinking about America and all this kind of stuff. And it's bigger than that. It's bigger. It's bigger. It's bigger. And I know the solution is bigger. God is bigger. And, and, and I know he has a plan that he's working. But the knowledge that I'm receiving from both of you is just blowing my mind. And, you know, it's informing me and it, it's inspiring me, too. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not giving up or anything like that. But I'm encouraged because just knowing that there are more of us means that there's more of us to fight it. There's more of us to come together and figure out what we're going to do to not necessarily overthrow it. I've always felt like rather than using my energies against what I'm against, I'm going to use my energies to build something powerful that's a force to be reckoned with, and then I'll come to the table with you and deal with you. That's how I feel. That's my perspective. So I just, you know, am listening. I'm here. I'm learning. And like John, like you said, you know, just, being able to study and the Lord is revealing different things to me uh, as I'm thinking about these things and hearing what I'm hearing. And uh, I thank both of you for being on and just sharing what you're sharing. I think it's helping to stretch all of us to a bigger understanding of what's going on 
and what we're part of and some of the things that we need to do. Well said, Arlene. You have John comments on that, John? Definitely. Definitely. First, the I think just from a standpoint of context, I think it's important that that people in the United States understand that Kenya is basically on the other side of the world. So, you know, I, I chuckle to myself and I do this oftentimes. Me and Dinah will be talking about something and there, things are different here, and some things are very much the same. <laughs> she was making a comment about Kunta Kinte. Now, we all in the United States know who Kunta Kinte is. Now, I don't even know exactly whether Diana was looking at it from a standpoint of fiction or a standpoint of that this is an actual person. But you have to understand that we had the luxury at least I did, of watching Root when it first came out and everybody, every black person was glued to the TV and it was a very quiet day in school the next day because Michael Albert would have sent every school into, into a, a race riot because black people, especially after Kunta got whipped and turned and changed into Toby, black people were pissed and was ready to fight. And any little thing would have set it off. Now, in the same respect that the movie was made in the United States, as many movies are, and Africa, a la Kenya, a la Dinah War, probably was you know just a child at the time. I mean, no, she wasn't even born. If I was a child, I was in the third grade. I was born at the time. It, she may have received that, thinking that that was a true story. It, it, it roots is fiction. There's a lot that roots showed us, but even the production of that, they used white supremacy even within that very movie. The only reason why I bring it up now is because people in the U.S., everybody know about roots, and they'd have been like, "What is she? why is she saying it like it's true? Because that's what she received it as at the time that she got it. And it's, it's like that with everything. Man, that is pervasive and ubiquitous as it is, as we get things, a la Twitter, a la Facebook, a la all these different new ways of communicating. But think about it back when you were, you, you guys could, could definitely understand how it would be when somebody came from a major city, let's say, uh, on the East Coast or the West Coast, and there was a song that was out that they knew about that didn't come to your town to dinner. That's how it was in Illinois. I was in the Midwest. So you would get the people would come back with mixtapes from WBMX in Chicago because it took it took a while for it to get across our country. And not in the US. It might be across the uh the world when communications were not as robust as they are now. Um and I just need to make that clear because I'm sure Americans are like, Kunta Kinte. What? You know, the that she was making. And, folks, you come here to see it. Matter of fact, let me just take a quick cameo and say people of color have to come here. They, you got to. And the reason why I say that, 
that here's the quote that you did. And me and Seth talked about this. Seth, tell, tell your listeners what the lady told you as far as you when you joined uh, uh, the airline and would be traveling. What did you say? You're breaking up a little bit, but just, we can hear you. Well, the lady told me at American Airlines when I first started, she said, we was talking about traveling, and she said, we'll learn traveling as an employee of American Airlines, just as a black man. You will find that you love everywhere but here. That's what she said. Folks, I I find it amazing. Now, keep in mind, the the life that John Clark has lived is such that I, I never dealt with a lot of persons who would attempt to look down on me because I in quite a few areas in education and sport and things like that. But even within that understanding, I, I've never experienced um, a general welcoming like I have here, when they realize that you are from the United States of America. And, and as I've stated, some of it is because if you go into a merchant's place of business and you're an American, your minimum wage is payday for them. Again, I repeat, if you go into a merchant's place of business and they realize you're from America, your minimum wage that you make in America is payday for them. So part of it is just the fact that you may be bringing the American dollar, which takes 104 Kenyan shillings to match. All right? Wow. And, and people don't get it twisted. It doesn't mean that you can buy a bag for 30 shillings. It's going to cost you like uh, 550 shillings. <laughs> so do the, do the math on your own time. But outside of the uh, commerce, you see – you can see replications of black culture in uh, in Kenya in their dress, uh, the way that 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 uh, you know they they uh, paint the, their public transportation with a lot of things that pertain to the United States. The lyricist, uh, be it a Jay Z, be it a Kanye West, be it a Tupac, be it a Biggie. Be it a football team, Oakland Raiders, Chicago Bears, whomever the case may be. There's a wow. other, uh, thing that you see are the soccer teams. Uh, soccer is big in Africa, definitely big in Kenya. But you do see that. But you see a lot of things that were born in America and are indicative of African Americans. Matter of fact, me and uh, Diana went to go see her nephew play basketball today. It's just a basketball league. And um, these guys are out there hooping, and there was a, some, uh, uh, a, a guy who wasn't playing. I think he was going to be playing the next game. He was uh, speaking. They normally speak Swahili amongst themselves, but sometimes, you you know, they'll say something something in English. And I heard the dude call another dude, you be-ass nigga. He, that's what he said. I, could, I sitting there laughing to myself because that's something that is – well, that's not black culture. That's a, a a substrata of black culture. He called him a B, as in B-I-T-C-A-A-S-S, nigga. And that's something that came directly from the U.S. 
And so they got a lot on things from us, and obviously some of the bad aspects. Um, they don't understand the use of that word, and we've argued about it on Blog Talk Radio, radio Show many a time about the use of that word. Well, it's here. Uh, they they oftentimes don't use it uh, in the way that we do, but they picked it up from, from us. And so um, I wanted to quickly state, like what Diana was saying about the white people here, there was an instance. It, it, it blew my mind. We were at a place in Mombasa, which is a beachfront uh, community. I shouldn't call it a community. It's a city. Um, and we were in a place called City Mall. It's just, it's just a mall. And when we were going in, I saw, you know, we they had security at the front gate, and they have security before you enter the mall. Well, I was, we were waiting to get in, and I saw a car drive by, and there was a white guy that was driving. He was already on the inside. He was just turning the corner of the mall. And as he drove by, the guard saluted him. I didn't think nothing about it, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I'd only been there a couple of, maybe a week, a couple of days a week. And so we went in the mall, and we went and we were going to eat some pizza. And while we were sitting there, this, I could see the guards through the windows, and different people were walking by and doing this, that, the other, so on and so forth. And I saw a white person approaching, and as they passed the guard, the guard saluted them. And when I saw that, it reminded me of, the guards from moving the guy to the front gate. And I'm thinking, what the heck? That's not really what I was thinking, but just know that there are Christians watching this show and we want to be sensitive to their needs. But just know, <laughs> just know, just know that Brother John was blown away. I could not believe it. So I began to watch. I began to watch. And as I watched, I didn't see any other white people walk by because it was predominantly Africans, uh, a few Asians, and some East Indians, like Pakistanis or <clears throat> and the sort. So I asked Diana, I said, Diana, I said, I just watched this guard salute this white person, and they did the same thing at the gate. I said, is, is, do they? And she immediately said, this is what I was, I was telling you about. <clears throat> and she began to tell me the story about something that happened to her in the restaurant. So, again, to me, this is micro level, be it racism or white supremacy, the impact that society uh, gets when they come face to face with this premise that the skin color makes someone greater, has a guard not even acknowledging his own people, but saluting white people he don't even know. He don't even know them. Arlene hey, got some on that. Okay. Hey, John. Yeah, you know what? That blows yes. my mind, the fact that you noticed that and the fact that it's really happening, which means it's being trained on some level. And what's interesting is mm-hmm. people are still accountable for how they're treated. I had an experience when I was younger. I had a friend, and she invited us to dinner. We went to her house, and my mom and I went to her house, and they made this wonderful meal. And I noticed that some of her cousins were not eating with us. They ate in the kitchen, and they, but they served us. And so I said, Mom, mm-hmm. what's going on? She goes, no. So at the end of the meal, we found out that this woman 
had had her sister's kids sent to her because the, the sister couldn't handle all of her children. She had her children sent to her, and she basically had them as servants. Servants. What? And so, yeah, they did all the cooking, the cleaning, the laundry, and they served the people. And then they ate something totally different in the kitchen. And these are all black people, right? So this is my first wow. impression of the South. And I'm like, okay, it must be crazy in the South. <laughs> but, no anyway, I was in Ohio when I had this experience. But let me tell you something. Arlene? Hello? Are y'all there? Uh, I've tried again. Okay, I guess I must have hit the mute button. Sorry. Anyway, the fact okay. that they were treated special, at first it felt great, but in light of everything else I saw, it didn't feel great anymore. So what I'm saying right. is when people allow you to inflate them and treat them a certain way, to me the onus is on them as well. You know what I'm saying? I shouldn't let you treat me like a god because I'm not a god. I'm human. I'm just like you. I put my shoes on the same way right. you do. So when people allow you to elevate them and pump them up like that, they're participating in it. That's all I'm trying to say. You understand? Point taken. Okay. No doubt. <laughs> Point taken. And that's the way a lot of it is. They, they are not innocent. Uh, you have to be careful accepting gifts of white, white um, privilege. Um, that's what Arlene basically is talking about, you know, those that have white privilege. They're not innocent, folks. And those who tune into this show in the future, and you're hearing what we're saying again, if you are benefiting, black or white, from white supremacy in some kind of way, you are a part of the problem. I want to I want to shift gears just a little bit, and I want to ask y'all. Well, actually, uh, John, I think you have some more experience. Why don't you get the experience? And I want to I want I want to bring up pretty pretty weird. Um, so, John, any more experiences you think we need to know? That was really profound thing I've shared so far. Well, what I would like to do is have Diana comment on one her this one experience that she she brought up immediately following me asking her about these uh, security personnel. But then I also want her to tell you about her cousin who is a Kenyan and moved to Atlanta. And I, I did get to speak with this uh, this person because this right here it blew my, it blew my mind. Hold on, you. I was like, okay. Huh? Muffled. You just got muffled. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I'm standing right. I'm sitting right in front of this speakerphone, and you, I think you, it may just be the signal. Second ago, you clear now, but you was blah, blah blah. But you clear now. Go ahead. Okay. The I'm I, what I was saying is that uh, after I told Diana about the security personnel, she told me about this experience that she had in this restaurant. I'm going to have her tell you about that, but I also want her to tell you about her cousin in Atlanta and her cousin's um, uh, racism that she has experienced in the United States. Diana? Oh, thank you. Okay, my experiences are many, but this is one particular one that I always like to talk about. And 
just pertains to what I've been saying about us Africans looking at the white people as better people than us, and their skin color is better than us, and they, in general, are just superior and better than us. And they dine in the best restaurants, live in the best uh, <laughs> neighborhoods, and all of that lined up together. But uh, normally, when I experience such things, I have to, to, I have to, I have to address it. That's me. I, I cannot just let it go like that. So there's this particular day I went to a restaurant, and. I was waiting for a friend, and as normally on a particular day, the restaurant, it's a coffee shop, it's normally packed. So I just secured a seat for my friend as I was waiting for her. Then I bought a, a soft drink and just set it there just to reserve the one seat. So I was just busy on my phone, looking at my phone, and... Uh, there was this white man who just came and pulled the seat like he was taking it away. And I'm like, look, that seat has uh, somebody. And he just took it, didn't even talk to me. I'm like, excuse me, the seat has someone on it. And I'm like, the manager of the restaurant saw some commotion between me and the white guy. And he came and I explained to him that this seat here is taking it away. But I've reserved it for a friend of mine, and I've even bought a drink set there. It's like, so this uh, manager, the hotel manager, was not supporting me, but he was supporting the white guy. Like, normally when you go to certain restaurants, they, I think they consider them high-end, that they're just supposed to be for the white people. And, you know, when I am there as a, a, a girl, a young girl, a woman, anyway, they'll look at you like, be there, or you are there to look for a white man. You have not just gone there to handle your business. You have just gone there to look for a white man. So that's what got me annoyed. Like, I am here to do my business. I'm waiting for someone to do our, our thing. I am not here to, to look for a, a white man or something, but why are you not in, why do you see this as a thing? He is taking away the seat, and the seat belongs to somebody. And you think that what he's doing is right. He didn't even say, excuse me. You, normally you ask, excuse me, is the seat taken? Then if I want you to take it, I would say, mm, you can have it. But uh, out of courtesy, he just asked. But he never asked. It's like he, he just, he just, um, he drives me off like you are not someone I should be talking to. But I handled it as well with the white person, and I told him, you cannot disrespect me in my country, and you cannot disrespect me in this restaurant. I can hear, knowing that I can pay my bills the same way you are here, so just leave the seat. I managed, and I won the, 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 the battle. <laughs> and another incident, this is very recent. Hold up, hold up. Power to the people. <laughs> This is very easy. <laughs> I think about about two weeks ago when we were in Mombasa. I, John, I didn't tell you about this. When we were in Mombasa, I was walking to this same mall, city mall, and uh, I wanted to to sanitize my my hand, but the sanitizer well, it 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 was very late. It wasn't enough for both both hands. Then uh, I reached out for, for the other one from the, the security guard, the lady security guard. So 
I only had my, my shopping bag. And she was like, I have to put everything for cake and stuff. Oh, that's the, the norm. I had to put everything, my phone, and I passed. Then the, I was from the ATM. And there was this white guy. We were with him in the same ATM. So when I walked through the security, he just walked past. And normally I wouldn't let some things go. I just have to handle it. But I handle it in a diplomatic way. I just asked the lady, so him is not supposed to be checked. Then she was like, him, that guy, that guy, that was guy going. He was supposed to be checked. No, he was here before, and he, he asked to go to the, to the ATM. So he went to the ATM. He came back. He doesn't have to pass through through the security check again. He doesn't have to sanitize his hands again. He has to. He just let these people pass because they're white people. Because I am black, now there's a way you look at me. This is very unfair. I told him, okay, it's okay, but I was just letting you know there was someone passing. But if he, that was a black person, she could not let that person pass like that. She could tell the person, come back and go through, through, through the entrance, through the main entrance. And um, another a incident that I don't like, this is now about uh, Africa in general. It saddens me when I see one African country uh, chasing away uh, other Africans from their country that we don't want you in our country. And the white people are there. The white people that cannot be, be chased away. Why? For instance, in our country, in Kenya, we have so many foreigners from different African countries. They are here as foreigners. They are here to work. They are here to do business. They are here to study. They are here to do different things. But um the same white people, the white people come to Africa to, to retire. So you find that a very old um you you forgive me for saying this, that a very old man, seventy year old, with an eighteen year old girl, or even sixteen. A sixteen year old girl with a seventy year old mzungu. But that's not there's no problem with that. That is allowed. But if a, a, a fellow African from another African country goes to another African country, for instance, maybe there are too many yes, of them in yes. that one so particular saying, country. You, so that's you're saying a white guy. Like. So, Sorry? So you're saying uh, older white gentleman in his 70s will have like a 16-year-old girl? Yes, yes. They will do a is lot it of Chinese, them, is, 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 is it, Does Chinese do that too? Uh, no, I don't. I've never. I don't see the Chinese it's, doing it's that. Mainly, I only see mainly, that with it's, it's whites. Right. Go ahead. That's interesting. Yeah. So it, it pains me because when uh, um, an African, a fellow African, is in my country, maybe there's one particular country, African country. There are so many in one particular country. And then that country feels like, you come here, you take our job, you take our, 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 our. we cannot find jobs, especially just a job. We cannot find jobs. So you just have to go back to, to, to you. I don't want to mention names. You don't have to, you have to go back to your country. Why? There are white people who do bad things. Someone who is coming here to, do, to, to look for a job, and securing a job, I don't see anything wrong with that. But there's this one person who comes, 
There's this uh, young girls who are still going to school. Some of them would drop out of school. But it's just okay for them to, to walk around with, with all the uh, 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 retirees, the, the white people. To me, I find that uh, not, not, not cool, but the government would really not, not care. Another instance, the last one. If I may. If I may, I want to, before I answer give this last instance, I wanted to give the anecdote that happened to me coming into this country that buttresses what she's stating. When okay. I uh, came, before I flew into Kenya, flew into L.A., posted with Rich, my boy out there in L.A. for about two weeks. Now, Rich, his father's from Togo, which is a western country um, near Ghana and Nigeria and Benin. Um, so Rich, uh, Rich had garb uh, or clothing, if you will, um, from that area. And, and when he was at school, he would wear this stuff, you know, from time to time. You know what I mean? So he told me, he said, look, when you go there, wear this. What will happen is that um, you will drink and come out of the airport if they see American with Move around. Okay. Is on. How am I? How? Okay. What I'm saying is that Rich had me wear this Nigerian um, two-piece pants and um, a top that kind of goes right at about your thigh level, and um, bless you. Well, what's funny is that when I got to the airport. Almost everybody, even people who were obviously African, they were dressed like Americans. <laughs> and I'm an American, and I'm dressed like an African. You know what I mean? So I, All I, 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 but it, it gets better. It gets better. So I fly from LAX out of LA to Paris. And, you know, I'm in that Paris airport for eight hours. So I'm just kind of watching people. And out of this entire airport, there's only a few people who wear African garb. Most people are kind of dressed like Westerners. And then there's the, the East Indians who dress like East Indians. You know, some of them are dressed like in the Western garb. Some of them have the more traditional things. Well, I fly, get on the plane, fly into Kenya. When I am um, um, getting uh, – get, just leaving the plane and I'm about to approach the luggage area, I'm coming down this ramp, and I see a group of men standing there, and they were just, like, talking. And one guy looks up and sees me coming, and I immediately he took interest. And he, as I'm starting, you know, I'm starting to angle away from them because I'm going to, the, to get my luggage, he leaves the group and is walking towards, walking towards me. I'm just kind of ignoring it, but I'm aware of it. So when I get there, I stop, and I'm standing there waiting for my luggage. And he approaches me, and he says, um, sir, do you have your passport? I said, yeah, why? What's up? <laughs> he said, and I'm reaching for my passport. And um, he was like, uh, where are you from? And I said, I'm from the U.S. And he looks at it. He said, oh, so, okay, so you're from the U.S., so oh, they gave you a three-month visa. They, you must have did well during your interview because you have to do the interview with them to get your visa, and you do that as soon as you get off the plane. 
they just ask you a couple of questions or whatever the case may be. Well, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, what was that all about? A day or so later, I actually bring it up to Diana. I said, Diana, I said, before I came out of the airport and I told her exactly what I just told you guys, and she said, oh, that's because they thought you were a Nigerian. I said, well, what's that I got to do with it? <laughs> she said, because many of the Nigerians had left Nigeria and came to Kenya, amongst other countries, and they were kind of known for being um, con artists. And so the Kenyan police were cracking down on them. And so because I come off like the only person with Nigerian guys, they immediately, oh, my gosh, bananas. He immediately, like Nigeria at one, Nigeria at one o'clock, I repeat, Nigeria at one o'clock. So that's that's what she's talking about. <laughs> no, but I, I just had to say that because I actually forgot about that until she brought that up. There, and that, you know what? That's an example again. Had I just been wearing something from the U.S., they wouldn't have said anything because they wouldn't have made the distinction. It's different. Like there's racism on a micro level, and it deals with differences. You're different than I am. You wear something different than I wear or eat something different than I eat. And so people are willing to remove themselves uh, from a group or add themselves to a group based on common commonalities or things that are not common. But white supremacy is a different animal. And I'm going to stop right there because I just want to give you all an example of Africans not liking Africans. But <laughs> two different nationalities. Two different nationalities, that both Africans. It's not that Africans don't like Africans. We really love each other. Africans, actually, in the whole world, I think it's only Africa that has many tribes. Like in, in my country, we have over, we have um, 42 tribes. Forty-two with six different threads, but I can speak five five uh, languages. So, um, putting all this aside, I have uh, friends and cousins in uh, different parts of America. So, there's this cousin of mine. She lives in Atlanta, and uh, she told me that she had a a bad experience with the black women. So I'm like, so, you know, black people complain a lot that they are facing racism in, in, in America, but they're also racist towards Africa. And yeah, they are racist. They, are not, they, don't like, they don't like us. Oh, really? Especially the black women. They don't like uh, African women. So I'm like, why? Why don't they like uh, African women? It's like, even if, uh, they, they have no particular reason, but he says that at my place of work, they will just say things just to, to demean you, just to make you like, you are just a Nazican. Like, whatever she says, just, like, you, you, can't, you can't match, you are just an African. Like, being an African, 
it's a thing. Like being an African makes you little. Like being an African makes you less. So that, that, different people tell me different experiences, but uh, my experiences are, uh, are many, but we lack women. She says the black men are okay with the, with the, okay, let me just say it. I was trying to avoid just to say it because uh, maybe there are people listening that will take it in a different way, but forgive me, I'm just saying, do not, do not quote me, I'm just saying what I was told. They say that you come here to pretend that you are good to take our man. <laughs> That's what she tells me, that African women go to America. And they pretend, they post like they, they, they are good people, they're good well, women just to take the, their men, the African, the, sorry, the American uh, men. That's what <laughs> Hey, Diana. Yes, you know what? Hold on. The hold thing on, about. Hold What? Black woman. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, the one thing that I would have to say that in America yeah. there's a lot of uh, media and statistical support. You know, it's being marketed that all the black men are in jail or married, so or they're dating white women because they've been subliminally taught that that's the best, and so the pickings so, are few. And we got to compete. It's hard to compete with this white woman because now she's injecting her lips and her bind and just all kinds of stuff. They're taking our good black men. And now these beautiful yeah. queens are coming over from Africa, and we got to compete with them. Yeah. I'm just saying the common mindset is a fear based on the fact that they, there's a scarcity. It's being marketed that way. Yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily true, but you're looking at a bunch of scared women who already has either been left by a man and they have a bunch of kids, or they're a career yeah. woman, they're making all this money, and, you know, all the other men are intimidated by them. So there's a lot of black women that don't have men, and when you add to yeah. that more women, they're intimidated, they're yeah. afraid, and so they're going to come up with some negative reason why not to embrace you as a sister. It's fear-based. Yeah. It's fear-based. That's true. So that's I just... Really yeah, that's very I just wanted it to put that out there the to try to understand. Yeah, yeah the thank media. you. And it's, I understand, even, even before you told me, John already explained to me, and there's a way, even Africans, there's a way that Africans know that black people are violent people. They, they, they don't look at black people in a different way. The same as the way black people look at, the, the African-Americans look at Africans like we are just people from the bush, we do not know anything, we are not educated, we do not wear clothes. That is what the media says. That is what they, they portray to the world, that Africa look like this. The African women do not wear bras, they are dressed up pointily. No, that's not true. That is what the media is, is, is telling us. And the media just wants to <laughs> do style. And whatever the media is saying, that is what we see, and that is what we believe. And well, let most me, people, let me, seriously, most people, even in Africa now, most people 
that I've talked to, the way people talk, people view African Americans as as violent people. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. But that's that's being marketed. The media is showing us. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's what's so important is to know who is really in power because whoever is in power, they're controlling what we're seeing visually, what we're hearing. As far as they're controlling the music, they're controlling the commercials, they're controlling some of the movies, you know. They're, they're controlling, they'll only let so much out. But they're constantly putting before us what is smart, what it looks like, what is beautiful, what it looks like, you know, what's preferred, what it looks like. And so all of this is happening anywhere there's media, <laughs> you know, so we're all being infiltrated by it. And unfortunately, this is something in the Bible. We're like sheep. The masses of us are like sheep. If you put it before us enough, we'll believe it. It's just how the mind yeah. works. So those people who are thinkers, who analyze, who are critical thinkers, they're not going to accept just the norm. You know, like everybody will vote for whoever looks the best. Everybody will vote for whoever sounds the best. But there are some people who will do their research and say, oh, you are not who you appear to be. I'm not voting for you. But that takes energy and effort. And like I said, most people are sheep. They just go with the flow. They're like a fish. They go with the flow of the river. They don't want to swim upstream unless it's mating time, of course. But, you know, they don't want to do anything extra. So if you go with the flow, if you're a part of the masses, you're just going to believe whatever you're yeah. being uh, taught. So that's unfortunate, but that's yeah. what's true. You know, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I always uh, say that God created differently. Created uh, white people, black people, created the Arabs. God wanted to be worshipped differently. He created the diversity. He wanted to to be worshipped in diversity. Someone can just come and say that. I do not like this about your people. I want you to be like this. Because even when God created these people like this, he knew God wasn't stupid. He knew that he wanted those people to be like that. And he wanted him to be worshipped worshipped like that. So most the way the, the even the Arabs they, they we, when we talk about racism, we only talk about the Europeans, the white people. They're also the the the, the Arabs. They also worship very much because in the in in, the, in Africa here in our country they don't, do not employ um, Africans to do the top jobs. Africans to just do the casual jobs. That's that's all an African would do in 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 their in their in their industries. Africa is not supposed to be to get the 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 top job. An African is just supposed to get the just to be on, on 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 a lower level. Plus, there's also another thing that is going on with the African women: the bleaching of their skin. Most oh, of that's a good one. That that right there is a good one. Yes, a lot of them. Actually, seventy percent of African women they bleach their skin because. You don't believe in yourself when you go, like especially even in the media, the media personality. Most of them were not when they were employed that they were not like that. So with time, as you see them, they change. It's like they just change. They they just bleach their skin.
when you two have to retain your job and have to be there. Are you sure 70% of African women? Diana, are you saying 70%? That's according to my to my research. <laughs> That's Diana's research. She said that seventy percent of them, they most of the, most of them bleach It's not that they are currently bleaching consistently at one point in time. Yes, yes. I believe that's what she's referring to, Steph. Yes. Oh, okay, got you, got you. I, I, I don't. Just like you had a Jerry curl at one point in time, as did I, <laughs> but we're natural now. <laughs> <laughs> We're not doing that. <laughs> Jerry Curl was a type of hairstyle. <laughs> so whatever yeah, would, that, would possess someone to bleach their skin, like I would just wake up one day and say, no, I don't like my black skin. I want to be white, thinking that when I become white, I think the people, I always say that people bleach their skin and people have low self-esteem. There are people who don't know themselves. There are people who lost their mind. They they do not they do not know who they are because someone who knows who they are they wouldn't change for anything. I wouldn't want to change to look like somebody else to look like a white person for me to fit in in the society. But the society well, we are in, in right now as Africans, there's a way we want. To forget about our culture, we that, we that, but it's that they have killed our culture because any leader, any African leader who wants to to oppose the the, the white supremacy and whatever they come with, that person you have you just have to go. When I say you go, then you know what I mean. Let's just get a word. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. actually, I took the phone from him. <laughs> He's going to say something in just a second. But I just wanted to add to that, it, it, it doesn't even just stop with, you know, darker skin and lighter skin. You know, the Asians are notorious for wanting to look like little white porcelain dolls. And so they also right. bleach their skin. And they wear extremely white makeup. And they talk about anybody over there that has any sort of pigment as if they're dark and unattractive, right. you know, so it's it's kind of like a global thing. It's all around uh, as well. But I also wanted to say something about the word leader because that is, is, is part of our problem is what are the leaders really about because it's hard to find a true leader because a leader is not just a person that manages. A leader is not just a person who, you know, does things to suit themselves, creates some sort of structure. But a leader is actually a person like when Israel, they were looking for a king. A king is a leader. They had good ones and they had bad ones. When they had good ones, to me, those were leaders. When they had bad ones, those were just people managing, probably answering to somebody else, you know, had some sort of uh, other intentions about the land. But a true leader is a person who takes into consideration everybody that's under them and tries to come up with a solution that's going to help everybody have a good life or have some sort of increase or have a place at the table, you know, have some sort of uh, buy-in and whatnot. Those are what leaders are. It's hard to find a true leader. And so the people who are heading up all these countries, all these um, governments, all of these parliaments, all of these things, 
a lot of them are not good leaders. They just have credentials. You can go to school and get credentials, but it doesn't necessarily make you a leader. So unfortunately, the leaders that, that I believe God has given the ability and the talent for, they don't either have the credentials or if they have the credentials, they don't want them in there because others have a different agenda. So I think that's one thing we can do is pray for the God, the Moseses of the, of, of the kingdom of God to begin to show up, shake off religion, participate in the policies and the politics of the government of the cities, the countries, and whatnot, and began to show people what leadership really should be. I just feel like that's one thing that needs to change. Thank you. Well said. That was good. That was good. That was good. Folks, listen, we got a hand up. Before I go to the hand, I'm coming to you, area code 864-340. Again, everybody, you can listen to the Five Swimstone Network. Title for our show is Mystery Topic. From guests in Kenya. Well, it's no mystery anymore. We're talking about white supremacy slash black inferiority, or in other words, racism. Um, let's go to the phone lines and see what question or comment that this caller have. We only ask caller that you give us your name and the city you're calling from. Your line is now open. Uh, who am I speaking with? Uh, this is Brother uh, Equanee from Carlos from Columbia, South Carolina. Columbia, Columbia, South Carolina. Carolina? Yes. yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, what's your comment for for us? Uh, basically, just adding on to the discussion. Um, can appreciate uh, you know what the sisters' uh, observation brought us to. Um, definitely a, a great and terrific. Analyzation. Um, so I just want to add my two or three cents on to, um, and this is where I am. I'm um, basically lodged at this place because I basically bashed my head to try to figure out what our problem is, and I know it has a lot to do with what the young the, the young lady just spoke about. It has everything to do with our identity of self. We cannot have true leadership if we don't know who we are. If we don't know who it is that we're leading, we have to know how to conduct business within ourselves, be great leaders to our own selves. You understand what we find in today's culture where our children are identifying themselves with, it's a one that is disorganized, okay? You know, I know I came from the church, and in the church, whereas I was in the church, now this one thing, and I have to be honest with you, we used to go to church, we used to have all types of festivals, but the reality is the neighborhood around the church is one of the worst communities. You understand? And so I think, uh-huh. and when we went to that church, we would pray. People are still going to that church today. Pray hard. We would, in their lives, in, in, in that, that, that understanding was a white Jesus. You understand? As we're talking about this identity crisis, because it has been a one that our scholars have contributed to to us as it relates to doing scholarship and understanding where we are. We can appreciate that. But I think that's where we are finding our issue, because we are not having, and Ashra Quasi says it best, our, our enemy has become our deity. And, that's just, and I'm not trying to change how anybody thinks. But when we're going to church and we're going to pray, we're going to cry. I've seen it. 
catching the Holy Ghost in the eyes or in the face of this European white man that whom doesn't even fit the description of the Son of Man inside the Bible, which has a head of wool. So even us practicing in that is blasphemous at the core, right? But we still do that. And there at large, and while we are praying to this white Jesus, and I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of times this is what we are praying to. We are praying with that picture in mind. Some people say, well, hey, the creator doesn't have a color, and I can agree. You understand? It's more energy. But I knew I prayed with that identity lodged in my brain. You understand? And that's what it is of a lot. So I think there, that's what starts even when they're saying we have the, the scientific study that they had where they're giving a little black girl a black doll and a white doll. Already we right. know that this construct, this infrastructure, right, this infrastructure has never catered to the identity of black women or black girl, unless it was a one that was looking to, like the young lady just said, be put white, where you can white face it, where we can now whitewash you. We can, if we can't turn your skin color, we're going to turn your, 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 your ideals and principles. You understand? So now rather than you identifying with yourself as a strong black man or strong black woman, now you're going out and putting on skirts. It's a shame to see with Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union – Two power, it's a power couple, right? Millionaires. They're coming together right. and showing the world about that look. They're showing, and that's, and that's to my, in my opinion, child abuse, right? You're allowing this, this young man to now set himself up where, I mean, and, and it's the thing where our identity starts with shows like this. So I'm sorry for, for being a little long-winded, but I just wanted to add to the discussion, and I feel like it. I, I feel like it has a lot to do with us identifying with ourselves, identifying with greatness that black folk. Now they're talking about the Tulsa, Oklahoma riots. Now everybody is starting to, to get involved and learn about. But guess what? Our scholars have been teaching us about that long before this. So we need to stop waiting for the European to now validate what our experience should be. You know, going back to our African worldview, we have to get back to that. Well, that's a good point. Say your name again. Kwani, brother. It's Ekwani. Okay. Brother Ekwani, that was very good. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing. That's why I didn't even want to stop you, brother, because you was laying. That was good. That was good. And we're right here in Dallas. we in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and as well, Quasi did. I think he still lives in Dallas. And I've talked with him, I think, a few times. I was going to try to go to Africa with him. And one thing I've learned, what you just shared about Jesus or this white image is very, very true. Uh, I I disagree with Dr. Quasi that he didn't exist. I believe he existed, but I do think he was a a dark-skinned man. And I think if we just put all the truth back where it's supposed to be like a puzzle, Yes, the white image did mess us up. It really did. Because, like you say, once you change deity, you got the people. If they can make us think that God and all the people in heaven is white, we close our eyes and we think about the Lord's Supper, everybody at the Lord's Supper is white. When we talk about seeing angels, all the angels are white. They got us. And when I say they got us, I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about evil evil, pure evil, and I don't know that it's a people. 
It's, I think white supremacy was created by Satan. I don't think white people in their intelligence, because we know them, some of us marry them, some of us go to church with them, some of us work with them, we know they're no more intelligent than anybody else. But I think Satan is the author of white supremacy. And I think he has lifted white people up, not white people. They think, they, they believe a lie that they're superior. It's a lie, brother. It's a lie. Because not all white people buy into that. And black people buy into that same lie, and that's how they're able to rule. And we think it's all about white people, but it's really not. It's, it's spiritual warfare. It, it, it's a lie. It's a deception. Because sometimes you meet white people that don't believe none of that, and it'll, and it'll mess up your theory if you got them painting as the devil. Now, Dr. Quasi and Dr. Ben, his mentor, I mean, his, uh, his mentor, um, they're some powerful people, man, for real. And I, I really believe in a lot of what they do. Um, I just, I'm going to let you go, but I just want to just say you are spot on with the image of Christ. The Bible says do not have any graven image because he knew this would happen. He knew that men would get control of that image, and once you put that graven image up, you can control the masses. That's why the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments says, thou shall not have a graven image of deity or of, you know. So I want to go ahead and thank you. Thank you for, uh, I'm going to go ahead and mute you now, but thank you for calling, so I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right. He was he was spot on. Folks, listen, what y'all just heard was straight up true. If, if Christ was white, he was just white. It's okay. But still, you ain't supposed to put images of him if he's white. But it just so happened he wasn't white. So whenever you put up an image, if somebody said, well, if you put up, if you put up an image of a black man, then they will worship black people. I don't know about that. I think it, 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 that's why it's don't put up no image. Listen, the truth of the matter is, and, and we get to the, to the solution here. I was going to take a little short break, but I'm not going to take the break. I'm just going to uh, go down the hill and say some things. But I want to hear from John and, and Diana all the way in Kenya there. I want you all to really listen to what I'm about to say. It's going to be along what the brother just said. I'm going to say something. I'm going to sound like a racist. I'm going to tell you right now I'm going to sound like a racist. <clears throat> but I'm going to tell you also, I love white people. I don't play with it. I really honestly do. I don't want a hair on their head hurt. I don't want to harm any white person. Okay? Now, I just told you, and I'm not playing with it. I'm very, very serious. But well, don't you listen to me. That Bible is predominantly dark-skinned people. I can prove it. When white skin appeared in the Bible, if when white people appeared back in biblical days, and John, I hear a little moving around and something going on with them. I hear a little noise, and I know it's not all I'm looking at all him. Huh? I'm sitting, I'm sitting still. I think that's just yeah. a signal stuff. I'm sitting still. No, it's like somebody moving around. Uh, but anyway, listen. Anyway, listen. That Bible, brothers and sisters, listening in the archive maybe a year or two from now, is full of dark-skinned people. Not even olive color, because olive came when there was mixing with light skin and dark skin. 
they were dark-skinned people. White skin in biblical time was associated with a curse. Prophets was cursing people white. The prophets was cursing people white. Now, some of you say, well, I have a hard time believing that. Well, okay, if you think when the prophets curse people and they turn white and they say they call it leprosy, even if you don't believe me and you think they was cursing to be with sores, what prophets you know today curse people and sores just jump on them? Do you know any prophets that do that? No. It is just as strange for a prophet to curse somebody and sores pop on them than white skin pop on them. So you can't say that what I'm saying is too far-fetched because prophet's not doing neither one of them. So what is leprosy? The Bible says, I said it last week, whatever leprosy is, the Bible says in Leviticus 13 and 13, that when somebody's covered with it from head to toe, then are they accepted. So if leprosy is sores, how much sense does it make that when you cover it from head to toe with all these sores, hundreds of sores, then you're clean. Then you can go mingle. That don't make no sense. The father just wanted people one tone. It's scary to see somebody's skin turning. It's scary. And the father wanted them all dark or either all white. But when they was all white, they still was a leper. Leper just means white. It don't mean sores. Trust me. It don't make sense. Again, if leprosy is sores, why does the Bible say when you come from head to toe, you're clean? It can't mean that. In biblical times, when it talks about leprosy, it always talks about white skin. It never talks about sores. It's always talking about white skin. Listen, folks, this is what I'm going to say, and we'll talk about it more in the future. Maybe next week we'll talk about leprosy. I promise you, I love all people. I believe we have all been sold a bag of goods, a bag of, uh, uh, not goods, I'm not, what's the word I'm thinking of, Marlene? Um, a, a lies. Listen, y'all, the world was dark at one point. There was very few white people. They were not in Europe. Every dark tribe in the motherland produced whiteness. Whiteness didn't come because of the cold climate, because there's people in hot, hot, hot climate producing white, white, white kids. So cold climates, I understand it does make the dark skin get a little lighter, but it can't produce blonde hair and blue eyes. That's African. Straight hair is African. Curly hair is African. Big butt, African. Flat butt. African, slanted eyes, African, straight eyes, African, large lips, African, small lips, African. Every feature on the planet originates in Africa. Tall people, African, short people, pygmies, African. Where did white people come from? We're living a lie. Because it's so different to see white. Because at one point on the earth, it was so weird to see somebody all white. Then you could lie to them and say, I'm different 
because I'm superior. In Tanzania, in Tanzania right now, they are killing albinos, and they say they're killing them because they feel like it's good luck, and they go off of their members up, body parts, and worship, voodoo worship. Google it. Research it. Go to your library Sir. from now telling the truth. Yes. If I may, yes. I actually watched a documentary while here in reference to that, and what they do is they are they when they get a body part of one of these albino uh, persons, they take it to the quote unquote witch doctor or voodoo or dark arts practitioner, and that person is able to grant them, be it fame, be it money, whatever it is that they're wishing, but that's what they have to do to make that come into being. And I've watched that since I've been here. Um, and like, just as you stated, um, it's, it's mutating genes. That's what creates it, mutating genes. You can get blue from brown, but you can't get brown from blue. One is dominant, Absolutely. one is recessive. And when a gene mutates, you are going to have someone end up with white skin, uh, blonde eyebrows, blonde hair, a blonde mustache, but they're as African as the day is long. And that's the reason why it's important to recognize the construct of white supremacy and racism as opposed to what you've been taught, like races are different types of people. No, nationalities are the different types of people. In Genesis 10, they didn't talk about whites and blacks and yellows. No, it talked about nationality, the table of nations. Absolutely. Give them a quick schooling on Bacon's Rebellion, because you taught me about that one, Seth, where the construct began. Tell them, please. Yeah, yeah. When the New World came uh, over the New World, when America first first started back in Jones, Jamestown, when America was there, so around sixteen, this was actually America started uh, uh, when they when things really started blossoming up there in, 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 in Virginia, in Jamestown. There was a governor named Governor Berkeley, and uh, they was going and getting people and bringing to the New World and promising these indigenous servants, which was white and black. They weren't called white and black. They was called Italians, Britons, or I don't know if Britain was around them, but they was coming from Britain, they was coming from Italy, they come from all these white countries, and they were indigenous servants. They were white, so-called white. They didn't call them nothing, y'all. They just called them by, their, like John just said, their nation. Well, the Italians might have been like some of the ones that was from Spain, the Spaniards. Spaniards could have been white or black. Italians could have been white or black, and they didn't like each other. They was not on no white and black thing, y'all. Listen to me. They came to the free world, and they was offered like 100 acres and wealth and all this stuff. Come to the new world. Work the land. Well, you know, you can become rich. Come out of Europe. There's poor, poor countryside. Become rich. Come to the new world. So these indigenous servants came, 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 and there was a big land dispute among them and the Indians that was already there, and Governor Berkeley was in the middle of it. And there was this guy by the name of Nathaniel Bacon. Google him. Go to your libraries. Go research it. Nathaniel Bacon held the biggest uprising in the New World, the first uprising, major uprising, 
over the land distribution to those indigenous servants. At the same time, they had started to begin to entertain this thing about bringing slaves. So they created a new underclass of so-called blacks, and they called the whites, or they called light-skinned whites. They had to have, they had to have a way to differentiate the two. Now, during the Spanish Inquisition, they had already started to say white and black. But it didn't really take on a lot of holes. They was already kind of using it, but it was lucid. But it became formal after Bacon's Rebellion. When they had that big uprising, they officially took that on as the standard. This is how we're going to determine. Under the Spanish Inquisition, we are heard, we're told that there was, there was abuse and they had to try to distinguish who was going to be abusing this when they first started using black and white, but it was kind of weak. But after Bacon's Rebellion, it became the, the, the standard for identifying people in America, and they created this new underclass called black. Ever since then, they've been using the term black and white, black and white, black and white, black and white, black and white. So now you got them whites who used to try to kill each other. Now they're unified under the term of white. Blacks in African countries different, someone was different tribes, and now they're all under the banner of blacks. Now they just throw everybody non-white under the banner of blacks, and everybody white under the banner of whites. But this is a social construct. It has nothing to do with the Bible. God ain't got nothing to do with it. I don't believe that God, I don't think God made, I think God made us, and then mankind, as they sinned, they lost the ability to produce pigment. I don't think God wanted that. He made man dark. But when man sinned, man began to lose the ability to produce pigment. Else, if God wanted people white, why does the sun cause them skin cancer for not having melanin? That's abuse. That's child abuse. Why would God do that to a people? Not give them a proper layer of earth because all melanin is is earth. Why would God not cover his man to where they get leprosy or where they get oh, some of y'all don't believe that, you don't call it leprosy or let's just say they don't have melanin why would God make man to not have enough melanin to where the sun would kill him we'll talk about that next week about this layer of melanin, this thing called melanin and to not have this earth on you is like a blanket, it's earth it, 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 it mingles with the sun it don't protect you from the sun like they say because the sun is not an enemy to a dark skinned person but a light-skinned person, anybody with less pigmentation, and this is this is light-skinned blacks too. So the people think I'm against whites. Listen to what I'm saying. Light-skinned blacks, it's the same thing. Not having pigmentation is unhealthy. Not having pigmentation in the eye is unhealthy. We're thinking it's cute because somebody got blue eyes or gray eyes. They may look cute to us because we don't know who we are. We don't know who they are. But that is not healthy. Not having proper bone structure that melanin produces in the bone is not healthy. Not having proper, even the hair. Blacks hate their hair, but they don't understand their hair can their hair produce the other hairs of the world. Black, all hair come from black hair. Color hair come from black hair. Every color eye come from dark eyes. The best vegetables are dark vegetables. The earth has to have that melanin. To not have the melanin is a form of curse. Last thing I'm going to say, I know we got to wrap it up. Listen, everybody. 
even the plants. Every once in a while, you'll see a white plant. Every kind of plant under the earth produce a, like an albino plant. Go ask scientists about that plant that turns white. It's always weaker and more brittle. It's not just in the plant life. It's in the animal life. Every animal species produces an albino. Y'all, this is serious. The reason those animals are coming out white in a plant's kind of life because sin in the earth. It's not to say that whites are sinful. No. No, their soul is just like our soul. We're one human family. But we're talking about the evolution of skin. Some skin is associated with a curse from sin, just like the balding of the head. Man wasn't supposed to lose their hair. That's associated with a sin. Growing too tall to where your joints hurt. God didn't make us to grow tall where it hurt, seven feet in your joints hurt. That's associated with a sin. I don't think God made us to be very short because your joints hurt when you're too short. That's associated with a sin. He didn't make women to not have children. Okay. That's associated with a sin. Two minutes before your internet people are uh, lost. Absolutely. Again, folks, we're wrapping up here. Anybody listening online, you have to call the phone number. As John is saying, you have to call the phone number. We only contract until like three more minutes. We only contract it from 12 to 2, our time. If you're in Kenya, 8 to 10. So call the phone number at 914-205-5590. One more time. Call the number 914-205. Five five nine oh. We're wrapping up in less than a minute or two, but I just got to say this one more thing, folks. Listen, next week I think we're going to deal more with this skin issue, because if I can show with the scriptures how the Father made us from the dirt, and He said everything is going to produce out this kind, so it's the same dirt. When we die, when we die, all of us turn dark. Everybody turned dark. Everything turned back to soil. So let me, that soil he made us out of was dark. I'm submitting to the brothers and sisters listening tonight. Again, I don't believe in hate. This is not a hate message. I love all people. And if you don't love people, you're operating in sin. But I submit to you, the original people were very dark-skinned people, and they lost pigmentation, some of them, from sin. The Bible says prophets will literally curse people and they will lose their pigmentation. Why did the father use whiteness for something wrong? Why was he punishing people to be white? Say what you want to say. Why was the prophets doing that? Well, they can't do it today. Well, they maybe probably can't do it today. But why? Well, Brother Seth, it wasn't they were just cursing white. They was cursing with sores. Okay, let's just say you're right, and Brother Seth is all. We're wrapping up. We're wrapping up. Everybody relax. We're wrapping up. Listen to this before I wrap up. Let's just say you're right, and it's not leprosy. It's not white skin. It's sores. How come the Bible, whenever it describes those sores, it always, always, always include white skin? Why is white skin always associated with the curse? Here's listen to the scripture. Leviticus thirteen and thirteen. We close in a couple of minutes. We got six seconds before we close this show out. I just want to put some on y'all's mind for next week. You gotta listen next week. Listen to this. The Bible says in Leviticus thirteen and one 
when a man shall have in his flesh a rising, a scale, or a bright spot, he shall be brought to Aaron the priest. Aaron was supposed to examine three things, his rising, if he have a rising, his scab, if he have a scab, or his bright spot. Now, I know what y'all, some of y'all are saying, see, Brother Seth, it's saying scab right there, so it's talking about a sword. It's not talking about the scab being leprosy. It's saying when you have a scab, after it leaves your body, you know, like your sores today, all of y'all get sores. When your sores leaving your body, don't it turn your skin white? Yes, it does. There's not a one of you that can say it don't. When you get a sore and it leaves your body and it's, it's healing, it turns white. That's what they was looking at. It's the whiteness from the rising. It was the whiteness from the scab. But listen to the last thing he says. I'm closed out. He says if a man should have a rising or a scab or a bright spot, he was to be brought to the priest and he was going to see if it's leprosy. I want to ask you a question, and this is the last question I'm going to put on your mind to next week. Why come? The Bible says if you have a bright spot, why come the Bible says you're supposed to be looked at by a priest if you have a bright spot? Not a sore, but a bright spot. So if you have a bright spot, what color are you already? What color are you already if you have a bright spot? How can you be white and have a bright spot? We know nothing of leprosy. Leprosy just means white skin. I will see you all next week. Brother John, final words, Sister Diana. I mean, uh, yes, final words, please. Final words, Brother John. I have every intention on being there next week, and I would like to give unequivocal truth to the fact that there is a construct that was put in place uh, that is being executed by people in higher places based on the fact that I am a mortgage broker. I take applications, and there is a part in the application section that talks about the race of a person. Through that portion of the application, I would like to submit to everyone who listens that I can show you of this construct. Diana? Um, wow. Thank you so much, Brother Seth, for this platform. For this what? I think. Oh, for the platform. Thank you yes, so yes, much. Yes. Go ahead. For, uh, I was saying thank you so much for this platform. Uh, I'm so glad to be part of this to 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 give my my input uh, as an African based on the racism, the topic that we've been talking about from last week. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Um, I'm a a community worker, and um, I talk to a lot of people. I listen to what people say, to people's views, and Based on what I listen to, what people say in their views, I have got to have an understanding of the impact of uh, the racism. And I've been talking to different people, friends, family, but I'm glad that I have this platform to air my, my, my opinion and to, to talk to different people 
us there and today, today, to the whole world. And to Sister Lynn, thank you so much also for this opportunity and thanks for knowing me and thanks for meeting you. Thank you. Yes, yes. And Sister Ali, want to comment to that? Thank you as well. It's a pleasure meeting you, hearing from you, and talking with you. And you as well, John. And I'm looking forward to doing it to doing it again. <laughs>